Hi-de-ho, ladies and gents, and welcome to the Agent Carter radio program by Fantastic Geek. We are the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me each week is one real ace, Pete. What's buzzing, cousin? Good day, Matt. Early bird and all that, so we're going to jump right into Agent Carter episode 103, titled Time and Tide. Tonight, brought to you by the people at Fifth Avenue Fountain Pens. Uh, Don't leave home without it, I guess. Yes. Pete, before we dive into the episode proper, two quick things, one in the past and one in the future. I want to thank everybody for uh, finding our inaugural uh, episode last week. Uh, You know, we didn't know how many people are going to be watching the show, how many people are going to be listening to the podcast. It was fantastic to see uh, so many people found us. We had a ton of traffic. It was just, you know, it's it's so fantastic that we have this wonderful audience. And Pete, as we always say in private and as we often mention the podcast, what is it about our listeners? We have the best listeners. They are attentive. They are knowledgeable. They are loyal. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, we really do genuinely say that in uh, in the real world. And listeners, we have a little job for you. Yes, we you know we're only in the second week of the Agent Par- Carter podcast, but uh, as we discussed in our Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, update, which if you haven't heard it, Agent Carter fans, it'll be tacked on in a secret scene in this episode. Don't let me forget, Pete. Um, <laughs> with the Daredevil podcast only a couple months away and that show starting on Netflix, please head over to FantasticGeek.com. Click on the polls tab because we want to understand what you, the listeners, would like out of the Daredevil podcast since it's going to be part of this fancy Netflix model of the future. So uh, head on over to FantasticGeek.com. Take the poll. News of the In this segment, we run down the top stories in the episode and give you the latest and the greatest need to know. Pete, what's the top? We begin with a little uh, voiceover by um, Peggy Carter uh, explaining who she is, that she knew Captain America, the SSR, really kind of catching you up should you have not caught the pilot and the second episode, which aired consecutively uh, Tuesday, January 6th, and then again on Saturday, January 10th, they re-aired it. Um, But giving you the idea here and uh, explaining, I thought it was interesting. She mentioned she's a double agent and, uh, you know, she's got to take care of things and help Stark before the SSR catches up to her or her friends. I kind of could have done without that, but I understand it's a necessary evil of network TV. It's like it is what it is. I'm not going to get too upset over it, but uh, I was glad, Pete, that we quickly got to the story proper and started with Agent Carter in a bathrobe. So that's not Which, too bad. Yeah, you never really uh, lose out. And there's a there's a guy outside of her window. Um, she is frantically uh, searching through her book of symbols for the symbol that was uh, drawn in the dirt by uh, the deceased Leet Brannis. Um, and suddenly uh, there's a guy climbing outside her window. But uh, 
It's only Jimmy, and he's looking for Molly. Next window over there. Okay, hey, can you help me? And she closes the window. I thought it was a, an effective uh, tease there, you know, um, did away with some of the tension. And, uh, hey, man, this is the 40s, and it's about the uh, the guys and dolls sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, it was a really fun way to open things, really a, a great way to kind of restate who she is. Um, also, it's the first time that we're seeing that symbol that Lee Brannis left kind of turned in such a way. So, oh, it's a heart with a squiggle across the front and um, kind of a bit more recognizable than it was in the dirt. Um, then, as you say, Pete, we kind of end with that little yuck, 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 where Peggy Carter doesn't open her her door or her window, that matter, for uh, for the wrong man. Door closes, and it kind of was the end of the teaser act but they didn't do a title card because they did that at the very top of the episode so pete could you say that we then head straight into act one yeah the the acts were off tonight and you and i were both paying attention to this and and talking via text you know some very short segments particularly in the final um you know uh third to quarter of the episode so i don't think they uh line up with the you know necessary five act um structure um the chief is then uh going over the um the crime scene with uh agent thompson and uh talking about how uh business is good at this one particular hotel room 424 of course uh 42 being an important number and four being an important number for uh you know uh looking back over here absolutely um, and there's a uh, they're in the room with the typewriter, the fancy fringe esque typing from somewhere else. They believe it to maybe even be a transmitter. Explained a little later in the episode, there are a number of passports um, littering this uh, hotel room. Uh, Chief Dooley also explains that uh, the assailant was a little bit of a film buff. Yeah, some of those passport names definitely seemed to be kind of, uh, you know, mixtures of, uh, of star names and whatnot. Pete, question for you, and, and I, I hesitate to, uh, to question your notes here because I know that, you know, here we are recording shortly after the episode has aired for the first time on the East Coast. I know this is doubtless your second or third viewing. Was it Doyle and Thompson who were in the uh, Flophouse hotel room, or was it that Doyle and Dooley. Kresminski? Uh, pardon me. Was it Doyle and Thompson or Doyle and Kresminski? I'll, I'll, I'll say it again so you can get it. It's Dooley, Chief oh, okay. Dooley. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> I thought you were correcting Doyle. me on the other thing. No, no, no. You keep saying Doyle. <laughs> okay. <It's> Dooley. <laughs> the, the Chief, Dooley. Was he there with Thompson, or was he there with the square-drawed, round, uh, round chest, barrel-chested Kresminski? I believe he was there with Thompson. That's what I had. Okay. Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll trust you, Pete. Yeah. <sighs> By the way, Pete, in that scene, or pardon me, not in that scene, in the next scene, when we're in uh, the, the Griffith Hotel where Peggy yes. is, it's where I, I noticed something that um, I wasn't sure I had seen last week, that, that I saw last week, but definitely it was in this episode, and therefore I think in the previous episode. They kind of do a slight um, rounding to the edges of the, um, of the picture. Did you notice that? No, I did not. Uh, uh, I'm sure it's there. I mean, you, know, you kind of have the rectangle of your TV screen, and they've kind of added a slight kind of, I don't know, darkening, you know, that kind of old-timey, you know, the right. iris 
the iris or the camera, keep an eye out for it. I know it's there. Um, keep an eye out for it, Pete, and keep an eye out for it, listeners, because I'm not sure how I feel about it, but it certainly does kind of add to the, you know, back then kind of time. To the feel, yeah. So the next morning at breakfast, uh, Jimmy comes up, and uh, the house mother there, Mrs. Fry, um, gets into a story about Houdini. And the one thing he couldn't do, Matt, the one trick he never figured out, Getting through, getting across those stairs without getting caught. Couldn't ascend those stairs, baby. And those rules, breaking them, sends Molly packing. Because um, it was her last evening at the Griffith, the Fort Knox, Matt, nay, the Alcatraz of boarding houses in Brooklyn. Indeed. It's, it's very connected for we formerly of the Alcatraz podcast, but... Pete, can't believe all that all that fuss, but after all, she was making whoopee with a man. Yeah, but Matt, just like some of the tenants of the Griffith, no building is impenetrable, says Peggy Carter. <laughs> ah, indeed, indeed. With that, we head back to uh, Captain Dooley, formerly Doyle, uh, and the whole bunch, and uh, they've uncovered that, fun fact, Pete, Leet Brannis was actually killed two years ago. So that then leads to the question, who is the voice boxless man? Somebody else. <laughs> the idea that uh, Moscow might be involved in what's going on here. Remember, we're, we're heading towards a simmering cold war. Um, Sousa has uh, turned up the license plate and it is uh, belongs to a car owned by Stark and um, then we check in with uh, Edwin Jarvis who is taking care of the dishes and his wife off screen tells him he doesn't need to take care of it Agent Carter is outside waves to him get his attention and she explains that her landlady with the impenetrable, impregnable Matt Griffith <laughs> has given her an idea about Stark's robbery of his bad babies. And uh, Jarvis explains that the night of the break-in, there was a tremendous storm. The power was knocked out and the security, um, thereby making it the perfect time to execute a crime. And a bit earlier in that scene, of course, it is the uh, return, quote unquote, of Jarvis's unseen uh, yet nonetheless heard wife uh, who offers to to clean up breakfast. I know, Pete, you floated last week that there'd be a bit more uh, exploration with uh, with Mrs. Jarvis. And uh, we certainly can look forward to that a little bit later in the episode. Um, but more immediately, the plot thickens. Uh, what I have in my notes in a moment of uh, of forgetfulness is Sousa and One Tree Hill knock on the door. Of course, that being, <laughs> Thompson. Uh, that being Agent Thompson. <laughs> yes, Agent One Tree Hill. Um, so uh, I love the uh, the banter here. Um, you know, uh, Carter is hiding inside the door, and it ultimately culminates in a ride downtown for. Uh, one Edwin Jarvis. Pete, this is the first scene um, where something that I was ruminating on since we last spoke on the Agent Carter podcast 
there's been something going on in the back of my head. We can touch on it a little bit a little bit later, but this is the first scene that kind of picked up that thread that I've been thinking about all week, which is it appears we're going to have an entire eight-episode show where Peggy has to hide and Peggy has to not shine. And here we literally have her hiding in the flowers and listening as the men talk and the men have men business. And I don't know how I, how cool I feel about that. I, I won't even be coy. You know, it's not that I, I don't know how I feel. I, I'm kind of a little slightly concerned here with how kind of the lack of girl power being afforded to Peggy Carter. But we'll talk more about that in a bit. Have a, have have some different perspectives and whatnot. But uh, back to you, Pete, with the act end here as we're heading downtown. Agent Kresminski, meanwhile, is. Uh... Uh, really kind of looking around at the SSR as far as people that might help him and uh, cover a shift for him. And Peggy Carter, of course, cracks. Is this the wife or the girlfriend you need time off to cover with? Um, Carter, meanwhile, observes the interrogation of Jarvis. Um, the subject of a death ray. Uh, comes up. Agent Thompson asks about that, and Jarvis quips that the death ray is accounted for. He believes it's in Nevada. Um, but as Chief Dooley explains that they are rattling this Limey's cage good, um, you know, the, uh, the implications are flying fast and furious, and um, Thompson gets right at it that uh, Jarvis was about to be charged with treason. He was going to be deported and, um, you know, wants to have his wife left out of this stuff. Uh, Dooley with uh, the guy who washes Stark's underwear, as he calls Jarvis, um, explains that he's about to crack. Carter comes in. She urgently needs Dooley's signature. These are codes ready for analysis. She gets it. Thompson steps out of the interrogation room to get some coffee. That's Dooley's cue. Sousa joins. Carter's eavesdropping. And uh, no sooner does the door open that Carter admits she's making she's made a mistake here. Uh, she had the stolen car report. And Jarvis walks. Pete, part of what I enjoyed so much about about this whole scene was it's informed by the previous episodes where we kind of expect Thompson is just going to you know immediately start to beat on Jarvis. And once that starts to not happen, it's a little like, well, okay, where are things headed? Um, and it, it ends up being a scene that informs us, obviously, about Jarvis's past. As you said, he had been charged with treason, found not guilty, still received a dishonorable discharge, and then now there's this risk of deportation. Um, but we also learn a little bit about Thompson in the form that, you know, if Thompson needs to use his fists, great. If he needs to use his mind, that works too. It's whatever works. Um, again, as I said last week, Thompson we're not supposed to like because he's in opposition uh, with Peggy Carter. But he's not a bad guy. He's he's doing the best job he can do to protect this country, etc., etc. Um, and Pete, I'll just mention this this quiet drum beat again. As you as you mentioned, the the act ends with Peggy taking the fall, hiding her brilliance again. This was where I had the biggest issue with it. Um, I think 
what it comes down to is where this show is set in relation to the one shot and what was confusing upon viewing the pilot, particularly with the footage it uh, starts with. We see footage from Captain America. We see footage from the one shot. So, Matt, what's the assumption? That since we've seen it, it takes place after it, since it's a montage of things in the past. Yes, apparently not so. Um, which leads you to believe, does the one shot exist in this universe anymore? <laughs> Was it all a dream? Was somebody yeah. looking at a snow globe? Exactly. So, um, when you get a scene like this and, and the, the chewing out, the chief is cheesed off. Okay. Carter is made to apologize to agent Thompson Granted, she covered for Jarvis. This was an intentional thing. But the tears in her eyes and humiliation in front of the bureau here in the SSR, that's very real. And um, this is when you felt it emotionally, not just on a thematic level of her having to play hide and seek. And I, that's where I wonder if where they've chosen to set this is the right choice. We were under the impression we were getting the shield of Peggy Carter and, you know, not the hide and go seek that's happened so much early on. Pete, who was the greatest hero of the post-war 1940s in the United States? Rosie the Riveter? No, no, I was thinking, I was thinking uh, Jackie Robinson, somebody who did not hide his brilliance. Somebody who did not, you know, I mean, obviously he had to keep his temper in check, so on and so forth. So I'm not ignorant of that regard. But I'm just I'm just thinking the second half of the nineteen forties are about, you know, an icon standing up to this sort of thing. Not sexism uh, per se, but you know, but but racism. The nineteen fifties, you know, same thing. The sixties, same thing, you know, so on and so forth. As you go through the civil rights uh, movement, women's lib movement, so on and so forth. I'll, I'll officially go on the record. I really enjoy this show. I dug the smooth, the smooth pace of this episode. Um, I personally am not looking forward to eight episodes of you know, and Peggy does fantastic things, and then lets men take all the credit because that's the way it is. Um, but we'll see. I mean, we're, we're three episodes in, which is fine, three-eighths. But if it's a season-long story, we shall see. Well, I can tell you it gets better. Um, act three here, if we want to call that, that with the way our segments are kind of off tonight, begins with Carter getting ready uh, to go spelunking. Um, but Angie comes over and wants to chew the fat Carter, however, is dismissive some other time. Meanwhile, we get um, introduced to a new member of the Griffith, uh, you know, taking the room, no doubt, of the, uh, the naughty Molly. And this is Miss Dorothy Dottie Underwood of Iowa, a ballet dancer, nay, Matt, disciplined, Mrs. Fry explains. <laughs> it was a nice, unnecessary character moment um that just helped sell the 1940s i mean the nickname dotty and the gee whiz i'm here from iowa you're 
you're English. I never met an English person before. It just it just kind of <laughs> sold this, you know, larger world that, that that's going on. And, you know, even even post-war as things are settling, it's just different people are in different places and upwardly mobile and and so forth. And I dug the scene, even though I'm not sure what it benefited other than perhaps, you know, planting seeds in the future and she's going to end up being some sort of ninja assassin or something like that. But barring that, it was just, it was, it felt authentic for the sake of authenticity. Um, Carter then confronts Jarvis over this uh, treason charge as they are uh, investigating the rather gigantic hole that was, uh, <laughs> you know, made into the floor of uh, one of Stark's uh, many places. Um, Jarvis explains that Mr. Stark believed the intruder had technological assistance. Uh, Peggy quips, of course, that Howard Stark believes you need to brush your teeth with technological assistance. Um, and while they're headed into the hole, the idea of Jarvis's war experience comes up his treason charge, um, that Peggy doesn't need to know the details as they head into the sewers here. The ideas floated that the treasure that was stolen might have been floated to the sea. Indeed, she mentions what I believe is still to this day, uh, an accurate fact that, uh, New York's storm drains when overflowing they flow into the sewers and then into the river or or the two are connected at any rate um kind of as as this overflow thing um and uh so as far as i know that's completely authentic and uh, of course they get to the to the end of the pipe the end of the line no teenage mutant ninja turtles to be seen by the way but they do find a boat a boat with like a heart and a ropey line symbol through it pete they found the bad guys it's the seamen yeah before we get to that though um little bit of recap as far as uh kresminski and susa um and we've had some stuff that's been floated by some listeners as far as what might be going on there but uh Kresminski, not the greatest guy, picks a little bit on uh, Agent Sousa. He might be sweet on Carter. What are you going to do there with the aluminum crutch compared to Captain America? That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a low yeah. blow. And it is. Makes us um, not as emotional at the end of the episode, <laughs> given only some characters, though, know about the meanness there. Um but uh, Carter explains that uh, she spent some time in the sewers um, in 1942, um, <laughs> you know, and they get on to Jarvis's experience again that his, uh, his honor is not enough. He tells the tale of forgery, um, a Jewish woman, the name Whitehall, a Tuesday, Anna, and a noose. Yeah, it, it, it too, uh, was a very nice character moment, um, similar to those that we got earlier in the episode, uh, again, for Jarvis and also for, for Thompson. There's nothing I enjoy more in a well-crafted episode than when you get to learn about characters uh, in this natural, organic way, and this is the time to do it. Uh, and, of course, Pete, within the scene, they, they finish connecting the dots, and the Jewish woman is Mrs. Jarvis. Indeed. 
uh, Stark had used his influence to uh, get Jarvis out of trouble um, and that uh, maybe another time they could go into greater detail. Um, but Jarvis, I thought, interesting line. He's always honest, if not truthful. Um, then it is that they find Brannis's symbol on the boat. Um, and Matt, that ain't the love boat. One more uh, issue with the uh, one more important detail, I should say, about Jarvis's story. Matt, where did that all take place? I don't know. Budapest. Ah, yes, of course. I did tweet about that. So, uh, yes, the, 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 the far corners of Eastern Europe. Yeah. We're not done. Uh, we're not done hearing, uh, about Budapest this year. We're not? No. As far as the Marvel cinematic universe is concerned. Uh, but, interesting. Uh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, it's great that you read ahead, Pete. <laughs> that I read ahead. Absolutely. <laughs> you go to the back of the book and go, Oh, I, I get it now. Yeah. Um, down on the docks there, um, come to find out that this symbol uh, is from a boat named Heartbreak. Um, there is a guy in a hat watching uh, Jarvis and Carter head down to this boat with the symbol on it inside. They open up a case, Matt, glowing green things. And of course, it, uh, it started out as a back massager. Um, which I was like, oh, uh oh, um, but no, that's, that's Peggy on Mad Men who had the, the belt that, oh, anyhow, um, yeah, it ends up being a, a kind of a, a muscle seizing thing. Hey, wait a minute. Constrictor. Muscle constrictor. (laughs) Pete, didn't Stark Enterprises have one of those like in the mid 2000s? Uh, yeah, they had, uh, the little device there that, uh, would kind of make your veins go and, and you couldn't move when, uh, I believe it went on, uh, on sound. Um, but Jarvis says he remembers it. Um, and, um, Carter's prepared to call this in. And I thought this was the heart of the episode. We, we talked about the unfortunate business before of getting chewed out by the men being uh, the woman and the protagonist in the man's world. This, I thought, was the effective payoff when Jarvis is pressing, okay, you're going to call it in. How's it going to go? And he's walking her through the steps. This is where he's an effective foil for her. Um, that they're going to make this connection, that they're going to trace it. Um, and she says, I'm going to call it in and they will respect me. And just like his unfortunate business, he explains, no, they're going to tear you down. If you're going to clear Howard's name, you have to do it from the shadows. So Matt, you talked about being out in a light and Jarvis puts her back in the shadows. This is how you have to do this. Is this sexist? I don't think it's sexist. This is the sacrifice of giving up per se, the notice of the bust, but look how in the ultimate arc of the episode, it winds up working. The guy that gets handed Christmas also dies. For Peggy as a real person. Yes. 
for Jarvis pointing that out, yes. For the for both of them working together to clear the name of a <laughs> of a mostly good uh, and honorable and well meaning friend, yes. For this as a show, fiction created by people, uh, specifically sh- show run by two lady people. Just want to point out that this is also the scene where Jarvis says, "Hey Peggy, hide your light." Don't forget, you need to help out your man friend here. Just throwing that out there. That's uh, both interpretations are legit, and I'm I, I, I I'm going to spend most of my time in the milieu of the world of the fiction, believing it's real. You know, worrying about those sorts of things. But there are writers and producers behind this. Just 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 mentioning that there again. I'm not. It's not some drumbeat. I'm not saying, oh my goodness, the two women who are showrunners, they've abandoned you, women. They've abandoned the <laughs> ideals of women in power. That's not it. And again, yeah. we're, we're three episodes in. You do three. I mean, it, this isn't exactly. It's not nine episodes, but bear with me here, listeners. You could do roughly thirds to go. The first three episodes, she has to hide herself. The second three episodes, she starts to, you know, come out of the sexist closet. And then the last two, it's boom, I'm Peggy Carter. Punch you in the face. <laughs> That's a reasonable cycle. We'll see. I'm just saying. My expectation after the one shot was we were going to see Peggy Carter, who had burst through the glass ceiling and occasionally was being pulled back down. Hey, doll face. Hey, what you doing? Not you're in this room. Oh, you, you know, ninny headed dunderhead. You mixed up the files. So now Jarvis has to go. We'll see where things end. End rant. Well. I I think the uh, the payoff uh, is rewarding in that Jarvis goes to the phone box across the street and in his uh, New York accent tells him about Doc 12. Hey, it's just a pal. Attention, British people. That's how you basically sound when you do an American accent. <laughs> just so you know, just com- c- compare compare the guy who plays Dooley. And then compare Jarvis's faux accent. If you don't hear the difference, you need to go back and practice some more. The act ends with the guy in the wife beater sneaking up on Agent Carter on the boat. Indeed. And what a great act end. Just because, you know, we see him first and she says some sort of thing to quote unquote Jarvis and then you just go and he's like oh you know here we go and we, we say oh here we go act end and it's like yes we're gonna have some some you know just a great fight ahead of us and uh, Pete after the act end with a new act what happens pick right back up Carter's on the ground um, the wife beater wearing uh, thug later identified as Jerome Sandow explains that he's not afraid to kill a woman uh you know he's not sexist no he's not (laughs) not at all um you know brannis uh brannis must told somebody where this was uh jarvis comes in carter uses the constrictor on um sandow and then a pipe uh but there's little time and no sooner do jarvis and peggy leave that the sirens roll up and it is kresminski and susa Having received the call, it's a bunch of Stark stuff. It's been handed to them. It's Christmas, Matt. Christmas. Okay. And Kresminski 
has uh, Sandow, who uh, is described as muscles here. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, this, this was waiting for them, uh, the, uh, the chief speculates here. And Thompson explains they're going to get the tech back to the SSR and wake up the eggheads, drive carefully, which, of course, is foreshadowing for what's going to happen. Krasminski uh, is in the car with uh, Jerome. Um, he's just about to spill, as, as he explains how someone's going to spill him at SSR in terms of interrogation. He starts talking about the dame, you know, the English broad. <laughs> they stop at a train crossing. Which uh, I was some, convinced they were going to get pushed into the train. Well, I was as well, yeah. Um, uh, Krasminski gets out. Um, someone, not completely convinced it was a man, uh, someone in a black hat uh, from a, a far away shot that gender becomes an issue as far as identification, uh, kills Krasminski and then kills Sandow in cold blood. Bad man boogie, Matt. Pete, it's funny that you should mention that. Uh, I don't even know if I have it in my notes here, but I remember when that person got out, I was like, that person looks like a lady person. I think it's a lady as well. There we go. I guess something something we can discuss a bit further in a little bit. Um, of course, with those two agents dead, we get another act break. And uh, as as we return from the the commercial break, and Peggy is in this just you know wonderful suit and this red jacket, and I'm like, okay, I don't know fashion stuff exactly, but I want to talk about this on Twitter. Her outfit looks fantastic. That's wah, when I look wah. up. <laughs> Everyone's crying. Rose, the telephone operator, explains, oh, Peggy, it's too awful. The SSR is quiet. There are roses on um, the otherwise pig-headed Kresminski's desk and um, explains here that it can happen at any time, any day. It was a professional hit on him and their only witness they were targeted, all this ex explained by Agent Sousa, and he says, I'm going to find them. Uh, Dooley comes out of his office. He says, don't forget this. Krasminski would still be here if not for Howard Stark. He wants action plans. Now he's got to go call the wife. And Thompson's going to call the girlfriend. Pete, whoever it was that thought up the, the, the duality of Doyle's going to call the wife, and Thompson's going to call the girlfriend. That was genius because it was such a pathos-inducing scene. I don't feel kind of in love with any of these characters. I mean, aside from Peggy, who, of course, A, we're supposed to root for, and B, we have seen before the series started. But And C, I'm in love with. But anyway. <laughs> um, it was it, – it, I felt uh, – you know, I felt – sad with all of them and i thought that it was just such an effective scene they really brought the audience down low and then i'll oh, call the wife and you go oh my goodness she doesn't know yet you know he was working the night he's probably supposed to be getting home around now and then i'm looking at the clock going all right we got, we're wrapping this puppy up soon are really gonna are we gonna end with you know funeral for a friend that the audience hardly knew and then it's just that it I'll didn't call like the girlfriend and didn't like, <laughs> but I'll call the girlfriend. And it was just this, you get lifted up and then handed into the final scene where we're kind of working our way out of the, out, out of the muck. Excellent 
pacing, excellent writing, excellent emotional direction, use of mood, etc. Indeed. Uh, and then it really comes down to uh, the automat where someone to watch over me is uh, playing and um, Peggy goes in and sees her waitress pal Angie. She orders the usual coffee, anything else here. And uh, Peggy decides to tell her about her day. She's all ears, explains how her coworker died on the job. It was sudden. Angie relays a tale, of course, about her cousin Ralphie who was hit by a bus after knocking over a newsstand. Um, but there again, Matt, the duality, the, uh, the confidant, and then Peggy explaining that this man was a brute and he was a cheat and he was disrespectful. All while Angie is being disrespected, asked repeatedly for a refill by a jerk. Um, and uh, Peggy says, yeah, you better go fill that jerk up. And I think he's, Sweet on you. Shut up, English. You talk too much. Cut to the exterior shot of the automat. Crane up a little bit to get the words automat and green neon. And that's when I said, I dig this show. And it doesn't need to be all action. This is just the 1940s and Peggy Carter. And any bumps in the road that there might be, they've got those two things to sell an episode and to... to to screen things through and uh and uh it's the end of end of a of a very nice solid uh, i dare say wonderful episode indeed what lunkheads deserve some time in the joint this list of baddies will tell us just that pete let's start with jimmy matt <laughs> <laughs> this this guy Got off scot-free after getting this poor dame, uh, Molly, kicked out of the Griffith. Better be a ring in her future. Let's hope so. Otherwise, uh, Jimmy's no good. Well, I mean, he is described as very persuasive and nimble. We Well, we certainly see him being nimble. And the fact that, uh, I'm sorry, who, who's Jimmy's sweetie? Molly. Molly. The fact that Molly says uh, basically she didn't uh, she didn't come out all night. Well, we'll just leave it at that. Seems like Jimmy Jimmy uh, he's he's a strong man. Matt, for all the talk of treason, Jarvis has to wind up in the lineup tonight. Um, interrogated at SSR, narrowly escaping with Carter uh, sacrificing herself and um i'm still not completely convinced and judging from some of the preview stuff that we're out of the woods with jarvis what say you uh well i of course have not seen the preview i am i'm pure the next three episodes like i have but anyway go ahead (laughs) um would i put jarvis in the lineup i mean i is he a lunkhead does he deserve time in the joint I mean, based on his past, I don't think so. Not how he kind of contextualized it. Um, at least if we take his story at at, at face value. Um, he is, of course, quick to stress that the uh, the um, treason charge was dropped very quickly. Um, of course, there still is that taint about him. Um, not knowing where the, st- where, where the Jarvis story ends up... Um, I mean, there's wiggle room within the story for him to for him to 
well, not not be around for too, too long. I guess time will tell. Indeed. And lastly, um, Jerome Sandow here, Matt, the muscles, uh, some talk about him even working at uh, carnivals and fairs, really kind of one note, uh, ready to spill the beans, but instead he gets his brains spilled. He sure does. Two to the face, no less. Uh, yes, TV code. TV code for dead when it's a double <laughs> shot. Uh, that's that's TV code for you're dead and it's not John Wayne and you go, oh, get me a bandana to tie this up. It just went through. Um, I dare say one to the head would do it, but two certainly. That's the uh, the icing on the uh, the grim cake. Um, I do get little... one put in your Alan Turning machine. Sorry, I mean your computer. You're done. <laughs> Yeah, um, he he was good while he was there. R.I.P. Muscles from episode 103 to episode 103. We remember you. Classified Top Secret. Holy mackerel, time to take a gander at what the G-Men don't want you to know. Pete, what is our tippity top secret? The Death Ray, Matt. Real banter. Nevada. What's going on here? Um, I think doubtless somebody is going to be in touch tomorrow and say, guys, don't you know that's a reference to Zagon's Ray of Destruction <laughs> featured in Amazing Tales 223. What's wrong with you guys? For my money, I, I didn't make any connection to either um, – things within my comic book knowledge or kind of general marvel marvel uh you know uh stuff from the mcu or kind of just from from the marvel mythology so how about this it's possible that it really is nothing well apparently it's in nevada um (laughs) how about this other piece of stark tech the constrictor um you've made uh reference to it possibly being the uh the device we've seen in a couple marvel movies uh future stark tech in terms of paralysis uh what do you think uh we we've seen the um the molecular uh nitramine we've now seen this constrictor um how about this stark tech you think it might go somewhere stark tech as a concept yeah yeah, I think that the company probably has a decent future in the post-World War II era. That is, of course, if they can, you know, uh, clear uh, clear Mr. Stark's name. Um, uh, as for as for this, this uh, muscle constrictor thing, maybe they'll turn it into some sort of psychokinetic energy reader in the future. Uh, kind of a PKE <laughs> meter, if you will. It did kind of look like that. Um. We don't see any tangible connections to Leviathan in this episode. We know it's still out there. It was name-checked um, in the preview. Uh, what's going on with Leviathan? And Matt, let's get at some deep theory here. Is there a mole within the SSR? Uh, well, I know that's what our pal, agent number one, Michelle, thinks is possible she's not as she said on twitter tonight putting all her money to it or whatever the exact wording was here's my concern just for the agent carter show 
Sure, there could be a mole. That would be a fun storyline. Here's the one problem. They did it on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So I think if they did it again, it would just be kind of baloney. Pete, but on another topic, that of Leviathan, I feel like there's it's still too early. And again, I kind of almost feel funny saying that. We're three-eighths through this season through the series as a whole i don't know or you know through 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 yeah through the entire series um but there's still plenty of story left i don't think there's enough at this point to be making any kind of uh leviathan theories how about you um i mean listen this is not a show built around speculation this this time has already happened in the universe in which uh you know we so richly get to explore the present day. So um, I don't think it's so much about um, speculation as it is looking at the connections develop. You know, we, we've we seen the Roxxon references. You know, we know what ultimately happens there. Um, the Stark tech and everything there. Uh, but I think it's the forerunners of a lot of those things where we're really in an interesting area and where there's some some gray that we can uh, explore. Long distance. We want you to flap your lips, write a telegram, or even send us a the Twitter. And Pete, we got <laughs> a the Twitter from uh, our pal Michelle. And um, we had been we had been John a little bit on on the Twitter a couple days ago, um, and specifically what I want to focus on because look, not for nothing, here we are making all these gender judgments uh, about the show and about how it's showing women and whatnot. We're two guys, so here's Michelle's take. Um, she said everybody knows uh, the '40s were crap for women, but Marvel won't tackle the issues of today. So Peggy may be hiding her shine. I think that Michelle raises a good point, which is, is this the show to discuss the nature of where gender is headed in the 1940s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s and and so on and so forth to even to today and tackling those issues with pay equality, et cetera, et cetera. No, that is 1946 is probably not the time a where that's a high priority for anybody. And Pete, as, as I think you were alluding to before, you know, I mean, this is kind of de rigueur for the time period. Um, Peggy isn't complaining much because this is the world as she knows it. There was this brief time where things were different called World War II when the boys were away and women had to, quote unquote, step up. And now they need to return to their, quote unquote, place. So... I like that. I, you know, I appreciate Michelle's perspective there as a fellow thinking person um, to just kind of say, hey, back off. It's not th- th- this isn't the show where it's going to be about women's lib, baby. We'll save that for whatever show they do in the 60s. And what I dig and, and we can look at it with, you know, the, the past perspective, of course, is that sacrifice. OK, Um, You know, when we're talking about women who often had to sacrifice, uh, not just back then, even today, in terms of uh, what they choose to have, you know, family versus, you know, going with the career and the idea that you could have it all was not an idea in that time. 
So where Peggy makes the decision and the distinction, if you will, in terms of falling on her sword, why, Matt, for the case, to pr protect Jarvis, to protect her friends. And that's when I think and where I think it's going to be even more, more hurtful moving forward. Wow. Well, aside from that little bit of danger you just dangled, you did make me feel better, Pete, just in terms of the idea that she is such the consummate professional that she's going around the problems of the day to be the best professional that she can be. So I you want her on your team. Absolutely. Absolutely. I want Peggy Carter on my team. Pete, continuing here in the long-distance segment, we had a telegram left for us on our webpage by Tom Sinclair. He said, great to see, well, hear you guys again. I'm just finishing a re-listen of your AOS podcast and enjoying your take on Agent Carter. You talked a bit about Roxon in the podcast, and I thought I'd point out that we saw them in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., episode Repairs, and in the one shot, a funny thing happened to me on the way to Thor's Hammer. Um, also in the comics. Not side, just there. True. Well, I mean, I mean, I know we had mentioned on the podcast uh, the first Iron Man movie. Was there somewhere else, Pete? Iron Man three as well. The okay. Roxon Norco, their version of the Exxon Valdez. Ah, there you go. Yes. Um, and uh, Tom wraps up by saying, uh, also in the comics, Cybertech is a subsidiary of Roxon, so that might be another yes. unstated connection. So, thanks for the telegram, Tom. Absolutely. Another thing we love to hear from people leaving us, uh, what do we want to call them, Matt? What's the analog on the iTunes? Uh, sending, a, sending a nice postcard into the <laughs> iTunes, man. Yes, uh, we love your feedback uh, in the form of reviews on iTunes, and two have been left for us this week. The first is headlined, Fun Podcast, Five Stars. This was left by Ducksman on January 7th, 2015, and rather understatedly, Best Single Podcast on Agent Carter. Thanks, Ducksman. Quack, quack. Absolutely. Such kind words. Yes. Second. Um, review left for us by Dr. Bob K. Uh, headlined Nicely Done, four out of five stars on January 9th. Uh, hi, Matt and Pete. Thanks for a great first podcast for Agent Carter. I've enjoyed your Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast for the past two months and was pleased that you are continuing with Agent Carter. I love the show and enjoy listening. Well, thanks for listening, Dr. Bob K. And it's not going to end at Agent Carter or at Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Is it now, Matt? Absolutely not. We'll mention again, please head to fantasticgeek.com, vote in our uh, Daredevil poll, because we really don't know the best way to podcast a show that'll be bingeable uh, on Netflix. Um, I will say uh, thank you, Dr. Bob, there for that king-size review. It really was killer diller. Um, now, Pete, on this topic of the long distance, um, you're such a, a person of glitterati fame. How can people <laughs> be in touch with you? Matt, do you mean people like the star of Agent Carter? Well, you can find me on the Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. -E 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 um, 4,900 55 followers can't be wrong indeed and just so people are in the know 
in the course of us uh, recording this, uh, you got a retweet from none other than Haley Atwell herself. So nice to see the old Fantastic Geek magic is still still working there. Um, but Pete, you, you mentioned Twitter there. While, while I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the radio program by uh, saying hello to us. We are Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH. You can be in touch in plenty of ways. You can send an electronic letter to us on Gmail. You can post a note on the .com or tweet uh, us your telegraphs on the Twitter. Don't forget, Fantastic Geek is the way to go. And Pete, can anyone be uh, in touch with us in any other ways? Yes, you can find us on Facebook. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH. And we are running a little raffle for the month of January. All new likes to the Fantastic Geek page will be entered in a drawing for Marvel um, Shield comic number one. You know, the one with Coulson and Fitz and the monkey on the cover. You want it. Like us now, enter to win. You're welcome, everyone, for the Fitz Monkey. <laughs> uh, and Pete, I guess the Facebook is something you get out from the library. Yes. Uh, with that, I will say good night, good luck, goodbye, one and all. Pete, with what wacky words will you close tonight? Well, this is novel. I haven't been in the back of a car in years. everyone as fantastic geek talks the latest in the marvel cinematic universe matt here and joining me as always is pete hello pete hello matt hello everybody so pete last weekend i just put together a quick little note for the uh especially for the uh, agents of shield podcast just saying hey there's really not too much to talk about right now we're we're off to do agent carter hope to see you there don't know when we'll talk again and then in this past week, a boatload of stuff involving Marvel television and Marvel movies dropped. So we have to address it today. There's no downtime, Matt. And the production on these shows, uh, you know, has resumed post-holidays. And uh, as we've seen before, it's all connected in a year where we're going to have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Agent Carter, Daredevil, and that's before Avengers Age of Ultron even uh, comes out on May 1. And then Ant-Man in July. Um, yeah, uh, there's quite a bit going on. Oh, yeah. And uh, a.k.a. Uh, Jessica Jones, uh, which we now know will see Netflix uh, in 2015. So, yeah, just a little bit going on. Absolutely. And. We, we won't discuss Agent Carter right now since we covered it in depth for what I believe was a 90-minute podcast uh, over on the Agent Carter uh, feed and the Agent Carter radio program. Um, but Pete, part of that Agent Carter uh, premiere uh, this uh, past week was, of course, the Ant-Man preview. So, you know, I'm generally anti-spoilery, but I don't mind seeing me a quick preview 
So if you're completely anti-spoilery, I don't know, we're going to spend a couple minutes talking about this. Pete, will Ant-Man have big success? It will have bigger success than uh, the general thinking was before this teaser trailer. Edgar Wright's uh, departure from a project that he had lovingly nursed for, I believe it's five or six years, you know, um, and and then left, um, you know, because of differences with Marvel. This is clearly um, since Iron Man 2, Marvel's most troubled production, and it really eased a lot of people's minds to see this. Um to get an idea of what's coming to have some footage now to sink teeth into, you know, uh, guardians of the galaxy is the biggest risk as far as the property that Marvel has taken to this point. And, you know, I think we don't need to say any more about that at this point that's proven, but this is less riskier now than it was a week ago with the reaction. Uh, people are feeling much better about it. And uh, yeah, we got a lot to look at. What people need to remember when it comes to Marvel movies, yes, there's emphasis placed on a variety of different great and talent, talented directors. But the, the analog that you need to have for Marvel movies is James Bond and is Harry Potter in that it's not a director-driven uh, production. Yes, the director has important, unique, creative input, but there are people who have been doing this longer than the than the director of a particular movie. Um, the different Harry Potter movies have different flavors depending on the director, but they're cohesive. James Bond movies, obviously tone can shift from time period, so on and so forth, but at the end of the day, it's the same production designer for the last 30 years. It's the same boom mic operator for all that we know. It's the same guy who they go to and go, all right, we need to have a car on two wheels and doing explosions. So, yes, as you said, Pete, a lot of debate over losing the director. And I think understandably so. I mean, the movie needs a director. Um, the movie needs a quality director. But, you know, it's, it, it, you know, it, there are people who have made so many successful Marvel movies to help fill in any gaps that might occur and i mean pete that was a super fun trailer uh largely kind of dark and down um but with Which those is, moments you know i i can tell you to this point you know is not really where the movie is the the tone of this movie is different than what was presented um they gave you a little bit of a hint at it but there are far more comedic elements than you'll be expecting given what you saw in that teaser. Yeah. I mean, just his little, you know, when, when it's, you know, we want you to be the ant man and his little, huh? Like to me, that yeah. just said volumes in terms of, you know, it goes back to the elemental rule that Brian Singer gave us with the first X-Men movie. What'd you expect? Yellow spandex. It's that, you know, it's that, sense of humor where you're just a, you want to be you want to treat this as a serious real world thing but but at the end of the day it's spandex and a little miniature guy who rides an ant like you know keep, keep it in perspective check yourself and i thought that the preview just looked like it was a ton of fun it did um i'm excited about it uh much more than i was i love the casting throughout this film 
The only issue I had with the trailer was Michael Douglas's voice was really gravelly. We know he's had some personal issues with the throat cancer and everything like that, but it, it just sounded wet. Um, I, <laughs> I didn't pick, I didn't, I, wet, that was not the word that came to mind. I mean, I would agree it was a little bit gravelly. I think too, he was, I don't know how much of that was dialogue from the film and how much was perhaps written just for the trailer. I mean, you need to get across to people who have no idea the character's name and like, you know, we need you to be the ant man. Cause they probably right. did a couple takes where it's like, you know, ant man, ant man. And if you just say it in the course of <laughs> knowing what it is, you know, but then we need that ant man. Right. You know, but uh, everybody in it, I mean, I would have far preferred to see a little bit more of Evangeline Lily, particularly in the, uh, the haircut there as hope van Dyne. Uh, but you got a couple quick action shots. You got some, uh, you know, some some shrunken down action. No yellow jacket suit to this point, which has been, you know, a, a source of a lot of discussion. But Corey Stoll, who plays Darren Cross, um, the other day came out came out and said, I, I am yellow jacket. You're you're going to see it. So, um, you know, Marvel's out in front of that as far as uh, public relations are concerned. And listen, you know, th this is the dessert after the banquet that will be um, Avengers Age of Ultron and, you know, all the TV we have this year, too. So um, and, and I, I think they're smart to put this production out this year. But, you know, come on, that's nothing that we can't say of Marvel for what now? Six years. Yeah. I mean, it looks fantastic, and I think, I think on a certain level, Marvel welcomes the lowered expectations. Mm -hmm. um, and frankly, for Ant Man to come out after Avengers two, whatever comes out after Avengers two is going to do less box office. So let it be something that's a little experimental. Marvel, you look at that Marvel slate through the end of the decade. Marvel is prepared to try things, to try different things. At a certain point, they're they're going to stumble. Or it's, it's going to be not our favorite or Cap 3 won't be as good as Cap 2 or, you know, whatever it's going to be. But Marvel is not content with, like, let's constantly reboot the universe. Or, I mean, my goodness, Pete, I read, we haven't even discussed this in real life. I read multiple articles yesterday stating that there are sources at Sony, that there are some people at Sony who want Tobey Maguire to return for Spider-Man 3. Really? Yes. Yeah. Like, like yeah. <laughs> there's, there's that level of cohesion. I mean, you know, there's that level of incohesion, rather. Yeah. Let, bring it on, man. July 17th. I can't wait for Ant-Man. Yeah. And, you know, one last bit on the casting and, and how we saw it, you know. So this is a mantle passing uh, superhero idea, uh, you know, as if you didn't already get that. But I just think that Paul Rudd is the smartest possible choice they could make for this material. Um you know, it, it's his time in terms of everything he's done and to be the first new Avenger introduced in phase three here. Um, yeah, I'm really excited about it as a choice. I mean, he's he's a great presence on screen and he yes, he's known primarily for comedy, but it's not kind of broad comedy like a lot of his movies. Funny things happen to his character. It's not kind of, you know cable guy so uh, he's he's a fantastic choice yep pete moving on 
you know, that's that's July. And uh, you know, we'll be talking about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. a little bit. Hey, we don't have Daredevil until Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. ends, right? Um, yeah, no. Uh, surprise. <laughs> <laughs> Everything that we had. And I started to hear rumblings uh, later in the day, Tuesday, that uh, something was coming. But everything we had pointed to May on Daredevil. And surprise. Like, like official Marvel statements, no less. Yeah. Not just like guy in the corner, you know. Yeah. Um, surprise. Friday, April 10th. So, uh, yeah. Uh, bring it on. We're, we're ready. <laughs> We've had to make ourselves more ready. <laughs> um, but that's okay. And, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the biggest thing other than having a date now is uh, making sure it's, it's all covered. Absolutely. I mean, we, we, of course, will be podcasting it. That, that plan has not changed. Um, there, there was something slightly ironic that after the kind of slow rollout of the Agent Carter podcast and, you know, and preview episodes and the one shot, we do Agent Carter on, on Tuesday and, uh, you know, up quite late because it's not just on till 10, but now we need to do two episodes in one. And, you know, I thought it was quite a solid episode. All right, man, you know, okay, it's it's midnight, it's 1230. All right, cool. Take it easy tomorrow. Catch you later, Pete. And then, no, we need to start talking about Daredevil because that just got moved up four to six, you know, four to six weeks. Um, so, Pete, what's the what's the plan for the Daredevil podcast? Well, we have a lot of different ideas, but our biggest concern uh, please understand, is always going to be quality. Though we uh, record our podcasts live to tape, um, almost immediately after they air, obviously with the Netflix uh, series model of here's an entire season, that's going to test that. So we want to know, we're soliciting our audience's input. How are you going to watch it? How do you then want to listen to us podcast it? And given that this is only the first of four different series with four different characters that will then combine in what was still being listed as a mini series, not a full on series. Uh, of the defenders yeah we kind of need to formulate um our own model when it comes to podcasting content that comes out all in one chunk pete the best way for people to share their thoughts would be to head over to fantasticgeek.com click on the poll that's fantastic tab. with a ph absolutely um and click on the poll tab that's just poll with a regular p uh, and the top poll there will be the uh, the Daredevil podcast, at least you know between now and when we start podcasting it. Um, and basically, there's going to be three questions. How are you, the audience, going to watch the series? What do you think our format should be, whether it's we're, we're doing, you know, talking about the whole, uh, the, talking about things having seen the series, we're doing each episode for the first time, we're doing commentary track. And then basically, how often do you want to listen to it? all a whole bunch of, uh, at once. Are you going to be listening once a week? You know, how, how is that going to work in your end? And um, please, 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 if you're planning on 
watching Daredevil and listening to our podcast, please vote in that because we're, we genuinely don't know what the best way is to do it. And we want to not just like, you know, serve the audience, but we, we want to keep things fresh ourselves. So we want to see what you guys have to say. Definitely. You know, uh, like I said, we take your input very seriously and, you know, we, we want you to be involved, um, in this, uh, you know, we're, we're so grateful to our listeners and we do this for you. So let us know. Uh, I can't tell you that we're going to completely follow everything just because we've got to find something that works, but you know, that we want your input should tell you how it import, how important it is to us. As you said, Pete, quality is uh, is number one. Of course, uh, the Daredevil podcast is not um, on iTunes yet. We don't even have a teaser episode yet. That'll probably be coming in the next couple weeks uh, for you to be able to actually subscribe. Uh, but of course, the Daredevil podcast will be uh, simulcast on the Pop Culture Podcast feed. You can always find everything as well at fantasticgeek.com. Uh, Pete, I'll just quickly mention, um, of course, we'll we'll revisit this notion uh, or at least, you know, copy whatever we do for Daredevil for the future Netflix Marvel series. Um, the next being a.k.a. Jessica Jones. There's a little conflicting information out there now as to when that show will drop. Um, the initial statement, which again, I, again, I believe was maybe officially from Netflix was December. I read an article just last night. That said, um, uh, I believe it was somebody from Marvel TV, although now I'm wondering if it was maybe Sarandos from Netflix, but somebody saying we don't want to force the timelines for these four shows coming out, the four Defenders shows. So we're looking at eight to 12 months in between. Um, So some people were like, oh, it's going to be 2016. And I'm like, well, hang on. April 10th plus eight months, which is the minimum, would take us to December. Right. Again, I don't know. I don't know that they know, which I love. There's not some sort of we have to hit a September premiere and then a January return uh, or, or whatever. It's I mean, look, obviously, they as companies aren't going to be like, oh, well, instead of today, let's do it tomorrow. But I love that they're just saying, guys, this far out, maybe it's December, maybe it's January, maybe it's next March. I don't know. Let, let's get the darn thing done. If we need to go back and do reshoots. We're not going to be like, oh, we're not going to get it in time for December. When they're ready, they'll tell us, which I which I like. I find refreshing. It's certainly fluid. You know, we had gotten a sense that Daredevil might be ready earlier than they thought. But, you know, it's not unheard of to hold things, you know, back a, a month or two um, since they were filming the finale in, you know, mid to early December. But um, given that they're only in the lead casting stage on AKA Jessica Jones, or as I'm calling it right now, AKA JJ, um, you know, the wonderful Kristen Ritter, who I think is, is starbound with her uh, casting in this going to play Jessica Jones. And they've cast Luke Cage, who will then be the, um, the lead in the next Marvel Netflix uh, exclusive uh, Mike Coulter, um, you know th- they're not too far along, so we're we're gonna have to wait and see, you know. Um, but uh, you know you'll recognize um, <clears throat> Kristen Ritter from uh, Breaking Bad, and then you know don't trust the uh, 
the girl in uh, Apartment 23 on, um, you know, it's not the real title. But uh, on I think ABC, it was, it was about it was about making honey, right? Like, it yeah, was about, don't uh, trust the bee. A honey, and then farm. Uh, Mike Coulter um, played um, the father of Will Smith's character in the um, Men in Black Three. So this is a very ambitious time for Marvel. They're clearly going to press the advantage going into you know what is already a home run before it comes out in Avengers age of Ultron, um, having the unexpected number one movie of the year in guardians of the galaxy and two of the top three movies as far as gross in 2014. So, you know what? Hey, here's, here's four, uh, TV series and, uh, a mini series and yeah, <laughs> By the way, Pete, uh, I would just like to propose to our listeners that the official hashtag for our Jessica Jones podcast be hashtag T, a.k.a. J.J.P.B.P.G. Since it's the a.k.a. Jessica Jones podcast by Fantastic Geek. It's it's that simple, Pete. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> You're asking Pete. a lot there. <laughs> Pete, with that, let's return to the mothership. Let's return to Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. And the notion of the mothership is uh, very apropos indeed. Uh, it was announced in this, again, extremely busy Marvel week that uh, an actor that many, many people uh, love from TV and film will be joining Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as a lengthy recurring character, which I hope is not code for, like, Agent Hartley shot super fast. Uh, Pete, who's coming to uh, to visit the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? That would be the revered Edward James Almos, Admiral Adama from Battlestar Galactica, Miami Vice, and your favorite movie of all time. He was in Citizen Kane. Pete, of course, Stand and Deliver, that movie that if you haven't seen it, you know, you definitely need to go out and see it. My hope, Pete, is that there's an opportunity for him to go up to, uh, I mean, I guess any of the agents, maybe take, take an orange and say, this is one orange. Cut it in half. It still is one orange. Let's go do calculus. I'm, I'm hoping for that. Maybe he'll, he'll be like on a whiteboard or like a clear board and be like, look, it's it, here's now we can triangulate the thing. It's all calculus. How do I reach these agents? <laughs> uh, and then there'll be the assumption that the math he's done is wrong. Because he's Hispanic, and he'll just prove them. They'll take the test again. It's a, it's a fantastic movie. Stand and deliver. I mean, how could you, how could you have not seen? It? If you haven't seen it, go watch it, and then then. Well, I mean, listen to the podcast first, and visit fantasticgeek.com with a ph. Then you can go see it. But Pete, other than that, there's no information coming out about Shield. Um, well, no public information, Matt. Come on, let's remember who you're talking to. That's true. Um, you know, other than the extraordinary gravitas that he brings to this show. Um, you know, and, and you're talking about an already, um, you know, stellar cast. Uh, let's remember he does know the way to earth. That's, that's very true. And I have to wonder, is he playing, I believe the character's name is, um, uh, it's Robert, uh, is it Hernandez? But I'm wondering if his character is perhaps, a descendant from 
the well, I don't want to spoil. If you haven't seen Battlestar Galactica, I'm just going to stop right there. <laughs> I'm just wondering if there's. It would be great if there's some sort of connection, which of course is all but impossible, and just the kind of geek stuff that the geek stuff that we think about. But um, I'm excited. And now, Pete, here's where we get to kind of a slight disagreement. You and I. I have yet to go on my my uh, you know entertainment news websites and see. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., back nine picked up, 22 episode total. Should I be worried? No, you should not. Um, if you think about the normal broadcast, the, the television broadcast model, if you will, the only time we really hear about back ends of seasons, the back nines of seasons being picked up is in the first season. The assumption for every second and on season show is that barring an utter collapse and cancellation, they're back for a full run or whatever run it is that they're used to. You know, for example, the, um, you know, over the airwaves broadcast being typically 22 episodes to a season Um, And then, you know, when we're talking about the limited run anywhere from a 16 to a 13 episode model, 10 has become fashionable with, uh, you know, a lot of the more intense series. Fair enough. Fair enough. I think that what you're saying is buoyed by the fact that when the schedule was announced in late may i believe um and agent carter was officially a thing it was shield in the fall carter in the winter shield returns in the spring so i mean the worst case scenario of oh man the back nothing in the back nine was picked up well that means that there's just two episodes left which nothing you know i mean that there's nothing to suggest that at all there's absolutely nothing um so i guess we'll see i'm still not excluding the possibility that if the ratings between Carter and shield are acceptable and good and not kind of, you know, burn it all down and pack it all up uh, scenario, but maybe not where ABC wants it to be that possibly we could see less than 22 episodes, perhaps, you know, 20, something like that, just as a kind of cost saving measure, you know, Hey, we're not going to, we're not going to make two more episodes. So script accordingly. um, And that way it saves the network. I don't know, $12, $15 million. And ah, with that savings, that's now perfect. Let's renew for season three. Let's do more Agent Carter, whatever it might be. But um, this has been a busy week, Pete. We kind of were coming out of the the winter break, the Christmas break going, okay, well, Agent Carter will be cool, kind of shut down S.H.I.E.L.D. for a while. And then we we covered a lot today because Marvel gave us a lot this past week. And uh, there's going to be more coming. (laughs) That's true. So regardless of which feed you're listening to this on, we'll obviously uh, update major news as it happens. Um, And uh, until then, we'll just be back doing uh, Agent Carter every Tuesday until its conclusion. But Pete, something that doesn't conclude is the desire of people to interact with you on Twitter. How can they do that? Well, Matt... 4,939 followers can't be wrong. You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R. 
While I am personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, you can get in touch with the podcast not three, but four ways. You can visit us on the .com, the Twitter, the Gmail, and the Facebook as Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with a PH. Um, Pete, I know that the uh, new Facebook page that you have been uh, that you've been minding has been getting a lot of traffic lately, a lot of interesting links and so forth. Uh, and uh, it's just it's been great to kind of be interacting with people uh, in a new way. And uh, just a little incentive that all new page likes for the month of January will be entered into a drawing for the Shield number one comic book just out hot off of the presses with uh, the Fitz monkey there on the cover and a couple of inside jokes to that. So if you're a Fitzsimmons fan, if you're a Fitz fan, if you're a Shield fan, if you're a Marvel fan, get yourself over to facebook.com forward slash fantastic geek, all one word, like it, and it'll keep on showing up in your timeline there. And it's just another way to interact with us. And uh, yeah. Fun, fun, fun. Well, that Pete, I will say arrivederci to our listeners. And uh, I guess we'll be talking to everybody again in a few short days uh, for the next episode of the Agent Carter podcast. With that, Pete, I will give you the final word. Is it April yet? Mm-hmm.